Well, last time we were in uh, 2 Corinthians, we saw the apostles' amazing confidence. Today, we're going to see not just the Apostle Paul's confidence, but we're going to see his determination. Determination is a thing you see uh, all, all around the world, really. Um, see it fairly often. Uh, think of the, the gambler at the blackjack table, determined, keeps rolling on, on red or whatever it is. Uh, think of the police chief constable who's got his surveillance operation to catch the criminal. Um, he'll keep going. He's determined. Uh, think of the football player who um, plays on during injury time, despite uh, plays on during extra time, despite that injury. Or think of the person with the New Year's diet, and they're determined <laughs> that they'll get in shape. Well, whether you think determination is good, or whether you think sometimes it's just plain silly, we always admire it, don't we? We always admire it when people are determined. Because determination happens in a context of difficulty, doesn't it? It's hard. True perseverance, true determination doesn't happen very often. And yet here we are on page 965 of our church Bibles, and we have the Apostle Paul showing us his determination and inviting us as Christians to be determined in our living of the Christian life. It's how our passage is bookmarked, uh, bookended rather. Um, look at verse 1. What does Paul say? Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Determination, isn't it? Uh, uh, look at verse 16, just the end of our passage there. What does he say? So we do not lose heart. That's a pretty incredible thing, really, isn't it? That sort of determination. How bold to say, we do not lose heart. We will never give up. We will never succumb to exhaustion. We do not lose heart. How does someone say that? What, what has he got going on that he is able to say that, to be that determined, to be that determined? The reality is, I think we know, um, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, that being determined as a Christian can actually be quite hard, can't it? Um, the Christian life can be challenging. You know, we experience, of course, don't we, as Christians, the suffering that everyone else experiences in life. But we also have that added challenge of being rejected like Jesus was rejected. It's a challenge, isn't it? And in our determination, in that setting, sometimes if we're honest, our determination withers. Maybe you've found it hard. You've noticed in yourself, oh, just, it's been a slog. And you wonder, am I losing heart? Maybe you're here this morning and you think, no, I don't, don't think I'm losing heart as a Christian. Well, as painful as it is to hear, I think there is a clue to, to us this morning as to how we might show that we're losing heart. I think, given what Paul says in these first few verses, you might be losing heart if you've become a topic changer. 
when someone asks you, um, is Christianity the only way? Do you somehow try to move the subject on? When someone asks you about the reality of hell, how do you feel? How do you answer? Maybe you try to move the subject on, change the topic. Let's just talk about the love of God and maybe try not to talk so much about God's justice. Maybe you've had that experience of being in the kitchen at work and of just kind of hoping against hope that someone wouldn't ask you that question. And then they did. And it was maybe it was awkward. <laughs> maybe it was painful. And, and now, now you've lost heart. You'll do anything now to duck those moments. You've become a topic changer. Losing heart. Well, friends, if that's you this morning, today's passage speaks to us. And it doesn't speak to us from above as if to guilt trip us, to condemn us. No, it speaks from alongside. It speaks to us in tenderness and encouragement. Look at those first few words from Paul again. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Do you hear that? It's from alongside. Be determined. We don't lose heart, brothers and sisters. So this morning, we're going to see three things uh, that Paul wants to tell us and show us to invite us to not lose heart. And the first one is in verses one to six. Paul says to us, don't lose heart, but rather practice the truth. Don't lose heart, rather practice the truth. Look at Paul's commitment in verses one and two there on page uh, 965 by big number four. Paul says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So here's Paul. And he says to us, don't lose heart. As a Christian in your life of ministry and service to God, don't lose heart. We have this ministry, after all, by the mercy of God. You see that in verse 1. The fact that we have the opportunity to live and speak for the Lord Jesus is because of the mercy of God. I have been saved by God. And so Paul says, I can't turn my back on my Lord. I can't. I won't, I won't lose heart. I, I won't give up. I'll, I'll speak the truth. Come what may. And, and notice he says he won't change his, his method or his message of speaking the truth. He won't think, oh, people are just going to think I'm really narrow-minded. So I'll change what I say. You've had that experience, I'm sure. You know, someone, someone asks you that question and you is Jesus really the only way? I mean, do, do we all have to believe what you believe? And you explain as humbly and gently as, as you can. And, but then that person says to you, says, yeah, but you're just a fundamentalist. You're just an extremist, an exclusivist. You're just difficult because you see Joe. Well, she tells me she's a Christian. And, and, and she's not like this. And she's not like you. You're just difficult. Oh, isn't the temptation to 
change subject, to soften it up, to tone it down. And friends, do you see, Paul says, no, I won't do that. I won't do that. Notice what he wants to do. Notice the but uh, there at the beginning of verse 2. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of, in the sight of God. Paul says, I'm going to make plain statements about the truth of the resurrection. I'm going to commend myself, notice, to people's conscience, to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Now, is it me, or do you just go, wow, (laughs) you're going to commend yourself to people's consciences? Isn't that going to be difficult? Isn't it going to be difficult to please everyone and get them to think you're okay? (laughs) That just sounds really hard. I think Paul's point here is that we all have a God-given conscience. Everyone has a conscience given by God, that sense of knowing what's right. It's like a little internal panel of reference, like an internal courtroom in your head and everything you hear, you kind of judge it on that basis. And Paul says, when I speak to someone, I'm going to honour their conscience. Because you see, deep down within every person, they know that God is creator. They know that Jesus is Lord, even if they won't admit it or say it. They know it's true. And so I'm going to honour that conscience. I'm going to speak the truth. People hate it when we don't speak the truth to them. Certainly our consciences do. And so Paul says, I'm going to speak the truth, even if people don't act in line with the truth they know. I'm going to honour people. And what's more, I'm going to do this in the sight of God. Look at that again there. At the end of verse 2. You see, in the end, Paul isn't worried so much about standing before men. He knows that in all he does, he's standing before God. Before the God who is his saviour. And Paul's conviction here is that what should matter to him most isn't the verdict of people, whether for good or for bad. What matters most is God's verdict. On his life. I'm going to live for that audience and that audience alone. Whoever I'm talking to. So that even if people reject me, well, I'm still speaking for him and that's what counts. Because, of course, people will (laughs) respond badly to the Christian message sometimes, uh, won't they? And in fact, here the passage speaks to us as well, doesn't it? Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul says, I won't lose heart, I'll keep speaking the truth, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Paul here is showing a real cosmic kind of realism. Look, when people hear of Jesus crucified, when they hear about Jesus risen for our sins and they don't believe, you don't need to think, oh, hmm, well, I better, I've obviously said it wrong. I better go back, (laughs) write out a new little script, (laughs) and I better say it better because they obviously didn't understand because I got it wrong. Who says, no, that's not why they don't believe. Or maybe you think, I've got to go back to the message and I've got to change it. That bit wasn't very popular, so I'll just drop that bit. (laughs) It's it's not the message either. 
why people don't believe. They believe because the God of this age, Satan, has blinded them. You see, we can't see, none of us can ever see the glory of God in the face of Jesus without a miracle, without God's work. See, friends, we mustn't lose heart because our job is simply to speak the truth, to share the truth of what we've seen and heard, to make plain, open statements of Jesus Christ as Lord. Why? Look at, look at verses 5 and 6. Look, Paul says, we will keep proclaiming the truth. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Says, Paul says, look, I, <laughs> I'm not going to change the message. I'm not in that position. I've been saved by Jesus. He's my Lord. And I'm his servant, and I'm a servant of the church. I'm not in a position to change the message. It's above my pay grade. He says, look, listen, who's going to do this work of changing hearts? And that's what needs to happen. Well, there's the same God who's been at work in my life. You see, God unblinded my eyes, says Paul. So he can do it again, and he will do it. This is the God who when there was a world that was formless and void, in darkness and chaos, that kind of dark, blind world said, let there be light. And there was light. The miracle of light and life. And Paul says, who do you think is on your side? Who do you think is with you? Who do you think has acted in your life? It is that God. And if he said, let there be light in this world, and if he said, let there be light in your heart, then he can do it again. If he has saved us by his miraculous work, should we not depend on him and him alone for that miraculous work to happen again? Not depending on ourselves, but depending on him. Friends, you see, if we start changing the message, well, what will we be doing? We'll just be throwing more darkness on people who are already blind. They need to see Jesus. They need to see the glory of God on his face. See, the power for belief, the power for spiritual sight only comes from that message. So, determination. Don't lose heart. Practice the truth. The verdict of the watching world on us is not what matters most. We want to honour people in their consciences, don't we? But what matters most is the sight of God. And it's his message that contains the power. So we want to speak the truth openly and plainly. That's our job, and God does the rest. He does the rest. Don't give up. Keep practising the truth. Point number one. But point number two in this passage, to stir us and invite us to determination, is there in verses 7 to 12. The apostle encourages us from alongside, don't lose heart, but see your purpose and see God's purpose in what's going on. You see, the truth is that continuing a life of speaking about Jesus openly, well, it can just sometimes feel very ordinary can't it? And actually, quite a lot of the time, 
living as a Christian can sometimes feel actually quite weak. I suspect that is why I have a peculiar fascination with doing big church events. I get very excited about throwing on a drive-in carol service. I get very excited about a big church mission or a jazzy live stream thing. Very excited about that. Maybe something in me thinks it can't just be this ordinary. Got to do something more. Now, don't get me wrong, of course, these things can be used of the Lord, can't they? Of course they can. But sometimes I do wonder whether I, and perhaps we, put effort into presenting Christianity in a certain sort of way, because we just think it can't be this ordinary. (laughs) Well, look at what the passage says to us. Don't lose heart. Know the Lord's purposes. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul says we have treasure. Uh, Treasure. (laughs) Treasure is the kind of thing that's very rare, isn't it? Think of the Mona Lisa. That would be treasure, wouldn't it? Uh, the sort of thing that's locked in a box and X marks the spot. That's treasure, isn't it? Things of inestimable value. Treasure should be sealed and secure. Treasure should be guarded and watched and patrolled. Treasure should be put in royal palaces, beautiful museums, art galleries. Treasure should be locked away in gold gilded boxes, shouldn't it? But look what Paul says here. We have this treasure, the good news message of Jesus, deliberately in jars of clay. Now, jars of clay were ordinary uh, in those days. Mass-produced, cheap, disposable. Paul is saying we have the treasure of the Lord Jesus effectively in a plastic bag. God puts his treasure in plastic bags, in ordinary, fragile packaging. If I'd been shopping uh, yesterday at Gunwolf Keys and come back with an amazing designer bag, a Ted Baker bag, a Mulberry bag, Vivian Westwood, Louis Vuitton, something like that, um, and I was holding my lovely bag up here on the stage, what would you be thinking? You would be thinking, Ollie, wow, that's a nice bag. That must have cost a bit. You'd be thinking about the bag, wouldn't you? You wouldn't, wouldn't be curious one bit about what was in the bag, would you? Wouldn't have thought about it at all. Look here then at what God is doing. He is with great purpose and great care and great design putting his treasure, his message in ordinary, weak people so that you wouldn't go, what a lovely bag, but you, you would go, what's in the bag? So that people wouldn't notice us, but would notice what's going on inside of us. Uh, when I was about six or seven, um, it was about early December, and I noticed in my parents' bedroom, on my mum's dressing table, a blue carrier bag. Being the curious seven-year-old I was, I went up to this carrier bag and sort of stretched the polythene a little bit just to see what was in there. That looks like a football shirt, I thought to myself. And every day when my parents weren't in there, I'd go in and stretch the polythene a little bit more to have a look inside. Slowly but surely, I made a hole, and I could see it was a white football shirt. The hole got even bigger, and then I could make out the words Holston Pills. Now, this was a Tottenham Hotspur football shirt. 
I was very pleased. This was a Gaza Lineker type shirt. This was brilliant. And I thought, wow, this must be my Christmas present. So I was very excited. Of course, the hole had got so big that it was no longer ignorable. And I got in quite a lot of trouble. It was an ordinary bag, an ordinary blue carrier bag on my mum's dresser. What's inside it? On this table here is an ordinary carrier bag. Are you curious when I didn't just come up here at the beginning of the service? What on earth is Ollie doing? What is that? Now, let me ask you, were you thinking about the bag when I put this here? Or were you thinking, I wonder what that is inside the bag? It's a lovely bottle of Prosecco. You weren't thinking about the bag, were you? You were thinking about what's in the bag. You know, if we did amazing events, if we did amazing church events with amazing speakers and amazing people who had amazing lives and the church had amazing growth, what would people put it down to? They would put it down to the amazing people, the amazing buildings and all that sort of stuff, wouldn't they? Would any wonder at the power in the place? No, they wouldn't. No, God's purpose then is to put his treasure in people who are weak. So that it would serve that the recognition would go to him. God's purpose is that this Christian life should feel weak. So that his power is seen. I love the story of Joni Erickson Tarda, who will be known, I'm sure, to many of you. Uh, she was the daughter of some Olympic athletes. And one day she was swimming. She dived into a, a lake and uh, caused herself significant injury and became a paraplegic. And she went through a time of serious depression and suicide, suicidal desires and so on. And she says, she's famous for saying this, that God did not do the miracle of taking me out of the wheelchair so that he could do the even greater miracle of leaving me in the wheelchair with a smile on my face. So the world could see my hope was in God. That I was trusting in him to make all things new. God puts his message in weak, ordinary people. Paul continues, look at verse 8 and onwards. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body for We who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us. But life in you. Paul's vision of the Christian life, I guess, is a little bit like a car being sent to scrap. And that pressure of the compacting machine. And Paul says it's going to feel like that. (laughs) Pressurised. But it'll never get to the point where you're crushed completely. It'll never get to the point where despair overwhelms. Nothing will ever overwhelm. God will always sustain and he'll always strengthen. Because God wants to use these situations so that his power can be seen. Paul's vision is that Christians will carry around with them, really, in a sense, the death of the Lord Jesus. We follow a saviour who says, take up your cross and follow me. And so in our lives, we experience the same rejection that Jesus experienced. 
we experience what it was like to be so ostracized as he was that you feel like you're on the way to death, as Jesus was. And why? Why does that happen for us? So that our hope in the resurrection, our hope in Jesus can be seen. So that it can be seen in us. So that it can be made manifest in our little weak plastic bag sort of bodies. You know that feeling of pain and rejection, social anxiety, friendships in turmoil, careers unraveling because you've trusted in the Lord Jesus. You've known that experience, perhaps, of, of dying to yourself, of experienced pain and rejection, of carrying the Lord Jesus' death with you in your Christian life, as it were. And this is the thing, isn't it? If, if we won't experience that pain in sharing the gospel, in speaking for Jesus, well, if we don't do that, then no one will ever see our resurrection hope. And no one then will ever experience the life of the Lord Jesus, having heard that message and come to believe it. We are to live Jesus' pattern, dying to bring the gospel to others so that they might believe and trust in him. There's a story told of uh, the first missionaries to the Republic of Congo. The tribal leaders were very suspicious of these new people who turned up in their village. And so they decided that they would poison the missionaries. So it didn't take long, a few months, and over the course of the years, the missionaries started dying. Uh, Those from the tribe, uh, descendants and so on, share this, that it wasn't until those Christians started dying that those tribes people said, We want to follow Jesus too. We want to have what's in that bag. We will experience pain in bringing the gospel, but it will show our trust. It will show the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus. Show that there's something to this, something in the bag. Brothers and sisters then, don't lose heart. Be determined. There is purpose in the ordinariness, purpose in the weakness, purpose in the pain that God's power might shine through. Don't lose heart. Last point. See if I can sneak a third one in very quickly. (laughs) Don't lose heart. Persevere. Number three, know the bigger picture and know it'll be worth it. In this last little paragraph here, just over the page, uh, beginning verse 13, Paul sees himself in in a bigger picture. He sees himself, he reflects on what he's, what he's feeling in the Christian life. And he thinks, this just feels like the psalmists in the Old Testament. You know, they, they spoke for God and they were persecuted. And how many psalms do we have in the Bible where the psalmists are crying out saying, I feel like I'm going to die, but I'm going to keep crying out to God and I'm going to keep speaking for God. And Paul says, look, verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith, As those psalmists, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe. And so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also, with Jesus, bring us into his presence. You see, in the end, the pattern of hope we see in the Psalms will happen for the Christian believer. In the end, Christ will raise us with him, our champion will be brought into the presence of God. To not lose heart, to be determined, to persevere, 
requires a goal, doesn't it? It requires an objective. Well, here is one, isn't there, if ever we saw it. We can not lose heart. We can keep speaking of Jesus. And we don't need to do it because of guilt or because we're afraid of God or because we want to earn our way with God. We keep speaking of Jesus because we know with confidence that one day the Lord Jesus will carry us home. He will bring us into his presence as his blood-bought children. Royal sons and daughters of the creator God who gave his son for us. We belong to him. Nothing can stop it. And so we want to live for him. Jesus is raised. We will be raised. That is what is ahead. So we don't lose heart. And we don't lose hope. Jesus, Jesus' death and resurrection means that our sin really is over at the cross. Jesus really is risen from the dead. Jesus is ascended to the throne and he will carry us home. Every weakness, every pain, every hardship will be worth it. Every effort made for Jesus will be worth it. This is the bigger picture. Resurrection is coming. Heaven is coming. Paul says, you know, the psalmists, they lived and spoke for Jesus. And they, they had that hope, that bigger picture. But they didn't just do it in a vacuum. They spoke to other people about God. And, and look how he ends it. This is going to be worth it, verse 15. For it is all for your sake. It's all for your sake, Corinthian church. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving. To the glory of God. Paul says here, look, I'm a servant of Jesus. I'm a servant for the sake of the church. And well, if I struggle, well, what is that? Because this glorious message of rescue is getting to more and more people. Won't, isn't that worth it? Earlier this year, Becca and I were in Cornwall. And we were having a lovely walk along a river, as you do. And the kids were playing a game called Close Your Eyes and Walk Along the River, which we told them not to play. Now, of course, what happens? Iris fell in the river. Now, what happened in that moment? I had Stanley in the sling. And so Becca, without a second's thought, jumps in the river. She didn't think about, oh, you know, my dungarees I just washed are going to be manky after this. I wonder if the mud will ever come out. Um, she didn't. She didn't think about her mobile phone in her pocket. That's, I mean, how much do those things cost? She didn't give it a second's thought. She leapt in the river and she pulled her out. And we had a little hug on the river bank, cuddling her with joy that she was okay and fine and that she was rescued. And it didn't matter, we were all sopping wet. It didn't matter what happened because she was saved. You see, Paul keeps going. Because the sharing of the good news brings that kind of joy. Sinners saved from eternal separation from God. Grace extending to more and more people. It's the joy of the parent rescuing the child. How many parents haven't got burns on their hands from rescuing kids from ovens? How many parents haven't jumped in the sea in the river to rescue kids from drowning? How many parents haven't, wouldn't give a kidney 
to a child? How many haven't remortgaged almost their entire lives to spend on medical bills and so on for children? They, they do it. Of course they do it. Of course we do it. To bring rescue is worth it. Don't lose heart. Know the bigger picture. So friends, here we are invited to determination in the Christian life, to practice the truth, to speak the truth, to know God's purpose in our ordinariness and to see the bigger picture and know it'll be worth it. How might you want to respond? I wonder this morning. I'm sure a few of us will be here thinking I haven't been honest with people and I'm a bit gutted about that. Well, listen, this word comes to us from alongside. Repent, tell the Lord, yeah, I haven't been honest. And, you know, there's absolutely no harm in saying to a friend, you know, I haven't been playing with you. I haven't spoken honestly with you. The truth is, I, I worry you think badly of me. Or Actually, the truth is, I didn't really trust God when you asked me that question last Friday over the, by the water cooler. Would you forgive me? Would you, would you mind if we did that again? Could I speak the truth to you? I, I think that'd be fine. And that's repentance and faith, isn't it? And maybe some of us have been embarrassed by the ordinariness of the Christian life. Maybe you've been embarrassed by church. Maybe you think, oh, I could never bring someone here, or we're a bit clumsy, really. Uh, those preachers and uh, people. Well, I wonder, would you start relishing in the ordinary plastic bags? <laughs> Maybe you'd like to speak to someone at church and ask them how they've seen the power of God at work. Go and look for how the power of God is seen not in super things but in ordinary things. Maybe you'd like to go and investigate that at Grace Church and then see it and believe it. Uh, maybe the truth is that you've forgotten that in the Christian life we are determined for something. That it's worth the tough times sometimes because we're going to be raised, because weakness is worth it, because others will be saved. Maybe you've spent time stuck on the details of the Christian life. I think I need to change this or maybe the church needs to change that. Well, can I encourage you? Maybe spend some time thinking, thinking, I, I want to be praying for the salvation of my friends. I want to be focused on, on God's glory being seen by others. And I want to make that my heart's delight, that final day. And so for all the time I get frustrated, I'm not going to let that overwhelm my hope for the coming day when Jesus will carry us home. Maybe that would be a, a thing to do. Determination, perseverance is a rare thing. And we admire it when we see it in others because it comes at a cost. Oh, that people would say of us, what's in the bag? What's going on with them? Friends, because we do have treasure. The most valuable treasure in the universe power of God for salvation to the glory of God alone wouldn't it be wonderful if this was a church that was remarkably ordinary but where people said there's something going on there should we pray our loving father uh, we thank you for this word speaking to us from alongside encouraging us to not lose heart. Father, I pray for each and every one of us that we'd be stirred, that we'd be challenged. 
I ask in your goodness that each of us would have one thing from this morning that we're going to take home, we're going to pray through, we're going to work through. Father, bless us in our endeavours, bless us in our conversations too as we seek to stir one another up to not lose heart. And we pray this, Father, to your glory and so that your grace might extend to more and more people. We pray in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen.